Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the newsroom of South Coast Today, this is ST Speaks. A podcast diving deeper into the news of the day and covering hot-button issues that matter to you. You're listening to ST Speaks. Welcome back to the Courtside with Kurt podcast. I'm digital editor Brennan Curie alongside longtime Standard Times Courts and Cops reporter Kurt Brown. Thanks for being here, Kurt. Thanks for having me, Brendan. All right. So today we got a little bit of a wrinkle on our normal court side with Kurt. Normally we kind of identify an interesting or unique court case and kind of break it down and try to give you guys a, a little bit of the background and insight uh, from court, Kurt's many years of reporting and his expertise. Today we're talking about a story that uh, is actually going to be running in the Sunday Standard Times, although when you're listening to this, that probably means the story's out. Uh, and it's looking at a real hot button topic in New Bedford recently, and I'm sure in many other areas too, and that is Bay. And what is proper bail? Uh, are we allowing violent criminals to go back out on the street and reoffend and terrorize the community while they're supposed to be out on on bail? Or you know, and the flip side of that, are we holding people in jail who don't need to be there? Are we paying for them? Is there you know all those costs involved? And you know, are we taking away people's freedoms when they're innocent until proven guilty? Uh, so we just kind of want to dive into Kurt, uh, talk to a lot of people. Uh, did some extensive interviews with everyone from uh, Mayor Mitchell to Police Chief Cordero uh, to people on the other side of this, uh, you know, victims advocates. I'm sorry, uh, uh, criminal advocates. Uh, I guess that's probably what they refer to themselves as. I'm sure they don't call themselves criminal advocates, but, uh, you know, advocates for, for uh, those with, without necessarily the means to reach bail all the time. Uh, and so what were some of your, your initial takeaways from talking to these different people about kind of where the crux of this issue falls? The, the- the crux of this issue falls it's a balancing act between public safety concerns and recidivism and um, an individual's rights uh, in the eyes of the court Uh, that in Massachusetts we have the presumption of innocence which is carried through all the way through the bail process and um, so uh, Chief Cadero has been the leader of uh, of this uh, effort. He's brought the conversation to everyone's attention. He started it back in f- February, and it's continued and continued. We get press releases from his office on a regular basis where he's writing news stories saying that somebody uh, has got a lengthy record uh, and um, they have open cases. By open cases, they mean we mean pending cases. And they had been given a bail revocation warning, and that bail revocation warning was um, 
not uh, followed through on. Not I followed guess, through. Yeah. yeah, it was the bail was not revoked. That's the point. So, so that was, I guess, what was a little surprising to me. Is I, I guess I understand a little bit more of some low initial bails. Right. You know, if you get arrested, you don't have any cases currently going on. Mm. You're not out on bail already. I can understand a low bail because, as as you noted in the story, bail is supposed to be solely for the purpose of ensuring that somebody shows up in court. That is correct. So it's just putting enough money there that they are committed to showing up in court because they and, don't want to lose the money. And that is the only purpose of bail. Yeah, so it's not supposed to be punitive. The bail itself is not supposed to be a punishment. That is correct. Um, so I get that. You know, you go in, you know, you're a first-time offender, even if you're not a first-time offender, but you have nothing currently in the system, working through the system, uh, and you get low bail. But what surprised me was so many of the second, you know, so you, you're arrested while you're out on bail, mm-hmm. and you still get a low bail. The... Um which so, is where the bail revocation, I would assume, would come in. You know, you're out on bail. You're not supposed to reoffend, right? Correct. That's the promise that you give the court. Uh, and a, a bail revocation warning is a warning that's given by the judge from the bench to the defendant in the courtroom. It means that if you reoffend while this case is pending, that you you can. That's the operative word can be held for up to 90 days. Um, But the law also says that um, judges have to look at the new offense. Does the new offense warrant um, revoking bail on the original offense? So a lot of times police will uh, catch somebody um, for trespassing or uh, the, it'll be a very weak case for an, for a robbery, um, and the judge will look at the strength of the case, and they'll decide, uh, no, we're not going to revoke bail. Now let's go through a couple of those because uh, uh, Cordero and uh, Chief Cordero and Mayor Mitchell kind of highlighted, I think, a couple of cases to you. So one was a uh, Hector Torres. Mm-hmm. He's a 62-year-old former Springfield man right. who had a lengthy criminal history, uh, including a murder conviction that mm-hmm. he had served uh, 15 to 20 years for. So in, uh, on February 5th, he was one of nine people arrested uh, at a Tinkham Street address mm-hmm. for drug dealing. Mm-hmm. Later that month on Valentine's Day, so mm-hmm. I don't know was like a couple weeks at the most later, he's again one of eight people arrested at the same Tinkham Street address, mm-hmm. uh, charged with assaulting a man and stealing $600 from his wallet. Mm-hmm. Um, that Tinkham Street uh, property is later shut down. So after those two incidences, he's out on $1,000 cash bail, and on March 11th, he allegedly robs a jewelry or robs jewelry from the South Coast flea right. market. And so at that point, he's finally ordered held without bail. Correct. Another one that they noted was uh, 44-year-old uh, Ruperto Torres, uh, who was one of the eight people who was arrested on Valentine's Day at that Tinkham Street address. He was arrested four more times after that arrest. Uh, so I guess those are the ones that I still scratch my head on a little bit and go, like, how many get out of – they're not get out of jail f- free cards, but, like, how many times do you get put back out on bail until it's like, all right, this guy's just not going to stop reoffending? In my interviews with Chief Cordero, that's exactly the question that he asked. Uh, but again, you have to go to the new offense. Uh, the, uh, the, the robbery charge, uh, I read the uh, court documents in that case, and a, a young woman or a, a woman uh, approaches a man and he asks him the she he asks her to c- 
or she asked him to come back to her place to have some drinks and um for lack of a better word he gets rolled there mm-hmm. uh, so you you got to ask yourself is the victim going to come back to testify you know it on the face although it's good police work you say to yourself all right is this a strong case or not mm-hmm. uh, apparently the judge felt that it was not not the strongest of case. And the flip side of all this is you do want to let people out on bail. Beyond even the innocence factor, there's also... A finance. I mean, we can't we can't put everyone in. We'd have overcrowding of all our jails if mm-hmm. we didn't pe- release people on bail until their court cases, and people wouldn't realize how much they'd be spending on, you know, feeding the. You know, we don't want to be feeding these people and housing these people and paying for corrections officers for the entire time until their court case comes about. Right. I mean, we want them to be out there going to work and making a living and doing the things that they would normally do until their court case comes around. But there does also seem to be a point where they've uh, lost that benefit and lost that right. Now, let's keep in mind, too, that that uh, Chief Cadero and the mayor want this to be a, uh, a safe city. Mm-hmm. So they're looking at things uh, that happen in New Bedford District Court through the prism of public safety. That is their primary concern. So that is where they focus their attention, and that is... Uh, why they have the opinions that they do. And so now you did talk to some people kind of on the other side of this, people who, uh, uh, I think you talked to uh, Marlene Pollock with uh, the Bristol County uh, for Correctional Justice. Uh, you talked to uh, Atara Richie. Mm-hmm. I might be pronouncing that wrong. Also, um, she has a New Bedford connection, too, of all. Oh, yeah, she, she's a director of operations for the Massachusetts Bail Fund. So what, what are some people on that side? I mean, we, we hear from, from Mitchell and Cordero uh, a lot. What are the folks on kind of on the other side of the argument say? Uh, the, I, I was most impressed with, with, the, uh, with the trial court people. <clears throat> the chief justice of the um, state's district court uh, sent me a statement, which is in the story, um, that uh, basically it's, it's said what, what I have said, that, uh, that they need to look at the new offense and they understand the public, safety's, uh, public safety concerns. Now, keep in mind that judges have to follow the law, that they can't uh, uh, bend their opinion to, to meet public uh, sympathy. Yeah, so that was uh, Judge Bernadette L. Uh, Sabra. Sabra, that that's Sabra, the yeah. she's the presiding judge of New Bedford District Court. Oh, so and then uh, you also talked to was it Paul C. Dowley? He was the uh, uh, chief Dolly, sorry, the chief justice of the state's district court. Yeah, um, and he he said he was uh, confident the law is being followed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was interesting. The the Sabra was quote was a uh, bail was never meant to be a punishment; it is only meant to ensure a person's appearance. Correct, and she uh, likened it to a insurance policy, if you will, to ensure their next appearance in court. So, what? Uh, anything as you were reporting the story that that kind of surprised you, or you kind of went, I, "I didn't know that," or "I didn't realize that." Uh, not that I did not know about, uh, but the, the, there's a state supreme judicial court decision that was reached in August of last year, the Brannigan decision, even though that's the way it's generally pronounced, Brannigan, even though the spelling on the um, defendant's name is Brangan, B-R-A-N-G-A-N, and I I spell it to you in case you want to look it up and read the decision yourself. 
but um, you know, let me back up for a minute. In the opinion of a lot of people that I've talked to, that the court has swung, like our national policy, swinging one way and then swinging back another way, that the court is going through a transition in, a, in one direction. The Brannigan decision uh, require, reaffirms that the only purpose of bail is to ensure a person's uh, next appearance in court. It also says that bail must be both fair and reasonable. Now, here is the new wrinkle in it, the, the new change, that it requires that judges and the probation department go review the individual's finances, whether they own a home, whether they have a car, within the limited amount of time that the court has in the course of a day to determine to make sure that the bail is both fair and reasonable. Now, this is... is uh, Seems like it, a lot of work for the judges. It's, it's an awful lot of work for the court staff, too. For the court staff, yeah. It, it's like if you push down in one area, it's going to pop up in another. It's so, a pop all <laughs> <laughs> So what is happening is that a lot of prosecutors throughout the state are not taking any chances. And they, if the charge is eligible for the dangerousness hearing, for the dangerousness law, they are pursuing dangerousness hearings. So that's one thing you note in this story, that uh, the amount of dangerousness hearings is on the rise. On the it's rise. one of the repercussions of this is that, you know, in order to get around the low bails, they're trying to have these dangerousness hearings so that they're held without bail because of a danger to the public. That's correct. Um, after I finished the story, I, I spoke to Judge Saber, uh, and she had mentioned to me, I, I just mentioned the word dangerousness uh, hearings, and she said to me, tell me about it. Oh, the court was open until after 7 o'clock hearing dangerousness hearings. Now, the court is supposed to close at 4.30 in the afternoon. There's some overtime going around over there, but uh, you know that's, uh, that shows kind of how the prosecutors are reacting to this, and kind of everyone's trying to figure out how they want to approach these bail hearings now. That's right, and now the uh, the SJC's decision again from August of last year has now been what they called codified, or has become state law through the criminal justice reform bill. So it is the law of the state. There's no ambiguity here. Mm -hmm. So what uh, going forward? I mean, what what can happen? What should happen? What, um, where where do they go from here? So um, after after you please read these two stories. Yes, they'll be coming out in the Sunday Standard Times and Mondays. That is correct. Yeah, and stay with them. Um, it, if you're distracted, put it down, but go back to it because I I do think. Uh, there's a big investment of real, uh, journalistic real estate by the editors of the paper, and a lot of time has been put in. And the whole effort is I heard to, a rumor you were working six hours last Sunday. <laughs> and the whole idea is that we did this as a community service to, to better inform our readers. Now, there'll be Facebook uh, question that, that I believe you will post uh, either Sunday or Monday right. to, to encourage people to, to, uh, uh, to respond. And 
two of the questions, Mayor Mitchell raised this, is that he would like to see um, more um, limits on judicial discretion Mm -hmm. because uh, judges have great discretion when it comes to bail. What is fair and reasonable? Um, one so they judge, want more guidelines for the judges have to almost like sentencing limits. guidelines. No, no, oh, no, not, not gu- guidelines. Okay, uh, he's talking about limits. He's talking okay. about judicial uh, uh, judicial limitations by the state legislature. Maybe uh, also um, limits on or uh, language about bail revocations. Now, would these be low limits or high limits? I guess, uh, or they would be both. I, from uh, the mayor's point of view, I think he would want some stringent limits on. Uh, so on, limits that keep the bail high, though, because well, I think of limits on bail means you can't go above a certain amount. But he's yeah. probably saying you can't go below a certain amount. I, I, I don't want to speak okay. for him. I, um, I mean, the court is moving away from high bail. It's like I've said, the court is swinging in a certain direction under Chief Justice Gantz. Um, uh, and then, uh, yeah, so there is this argument for, for uh, limits on judicial discretion. Another point is uh, I asked the trial court if they had any facts and figures on recidivism since the Brannigan decision, um, and they had told me no, that it is uh, way too new of a law, and so we don't have those figures. But I mean, it'll be interesting to track now. We're coming up on the first anniversary of it. Uh, Chris Mackey had mentioned that to me that he'd like to see some kind of tracking de- uh, tracking device. He'd like to see the, the track record on uh, what has happened in terms of recidivism uh, for, for, uh, for repeat offenders. Uh, but we're talking maybe two or three years uh, before we know. So maybe the SJC needs to come down with some guidelines and some direction and some clarity for lower court judges. Oh, that'd be a good first step, mm. it seems like. And Now, one thing you mentioned what the mayor had proposed, I think you had in your story that the, the chief, uh, Chief Cordero, had said he would like, uh, and, and I'm putting this in, in my terms here a little bit mm. here, basically bail revocation warnings to become mandatory to follow through on them. Correct. If you get a bail revocation warning and you commit again, bail has to be revoked. It's no longer up to the judge to look at the strengths of the case and the ex- extenuating circumstances. Uh, that is just kind of a cut and dry. If you're out on bail and you've received a bail revocation warning and you reoffend, that's it. I, that's I how think, I read it, I guess. Yeah, I, I think he's closer to that point of view, but I think in some cases uh, he's, he's got a kind heart. I think he would probably... Uh, or my sense was that he would be in, not in favor of revoking bail. All hundred yeah. percent, yeah, yeah, not a hundred percent. So, so there is another case in there that uh, the the case of the two drug dealers. Yeah, so they're talking Tyrell Jordan DePina mm. and uh, Neil A. Gomes. Mm. Uh, Tyrell Jordan DePina, twenty three, and Neil A. Gomes, thirty. Uh, two New Bedford men with lengthy criminal records. Mm. Uh, so they were arrested uh, together. Uh, in the West End, uh, detective sees 80 oxycodone tabs, mm. partially crushed tablets, and uh, about $5,200 in cash from the two. Um, prosecutors had asked that they be held on $10,000 cash bail. Uh, District Court Judge Robert, is another tough name here, Avoyan? Correct. All right. Uh, 
uh, ended up, uh, what was it? Bale was at $500 cash on Depina, and Gomes was released on personal recognizance with a bail warning. Yeah. They, and they had uh, ongoing cases, right, in Superior Court, mm-hmm. including drug, firearm, and robbery offenses. Mm. So that was one that uh, Cordero and Mitchell were both, uh, both upset about. That one mystifies me. Uh, How the bail was set so low on that one? Correct. Yeah, especially since they fled. Uh, now, I don't know if the... Which would lead you to think they're not always going to show up to a court appearance if they're fleeing from cops. That's, uh... Uh, um, so, and, and the court complaints, the New Bedford Police Department had got a tremendous uh, narcotics unit, the OCIB, Organized Crime Intelligence Bureau. So they happened to see uh, this car by, uh, uh, with two people in it that they know. They know that they have a history of firearms. They pulled them over, and then the two people took off. It's during the west end of the city. It's narrow streets. Um, they chased them, uh, and uh, they finally pulled them over. Um, I did not understand the... Um, the bail decisions, all the decisions regarding bail in this case, the um, I, and, and this is the case that I I wondered whether or not the Brannigan decision has really played a part. Yeah, another one that uh, I think uh, Cordero and uh, Mitchell both mentioned is uh, the case everyone knows of is Sean Gannon. Uh, the uh, canine officer from Yarmouth uh, who was uh, allegedly uh, killed by Thomas Latanowich, mm-hmm. a guy who had 121 prior criminal charges and uh, I believe was out on bail at the time. They were actually looking for him mm-hmm. because he was wanted at the time. That is right? correct. Now, we reached out to his mother, uh, and she and her husband, Patrick, gave us a, uh, a statement uh, and they are in favor of limits on judicial discretion to create parity in bail decisions. And that yeah, is so the, the exact now. statement from Patrick and Denise Gannon was, we support mandatory and standardized guidelines for bail mm-hmm. and sentences similar crimes to create parity among judicial decisions. Right. So, yeah, any, anything else that uh, you want to talk about here while we're... No, uh, I think the point that the reason why everybody here at the paper has worked on this story is as a public service that we want to educate, inform, and to create awareness and to give you more information than just making a, a, a knee-jerk reaction. And sometimes, you know, a knee-jerk reaction is, is, is the right thing, it's fine, but our hope is that you will read these two stories, stay with them, and we hope that you will become you will come out of it better informed. There's a lot of nuance here, and that's what we're trying to get across. It's not a lot of cut and dry cases here. It's a lot of different aspects to consider, uh, different uh, possible outcomes, and just you know, a whole lot goes into this uh, from the, the cases themselves to the people, uh, to the judges, to you know, to the police officers and their frustrations. So there's there's a lot to, to sift through, and Kurt and uh, the rest of the staff here did a great job, kind of going through all that sand and finding the real gems and, and what uh, really matters. And uh, what really can help you kind of decide where you fall on this. And hopefully we can come to some uh, solutions in the future because it seems like the current system is not working out for for anybody, really. Mm -hmm. Well, hopefully we can enhance the discussion. Absolutely. Uh, um, As Judge Saber told me, 
uh, bail is complicated, and, and that is an understatement. And also keep in mind that judges, according to the judicial canon of ethics, are prohibited from commenting about their decisions on individual cases. Yep, so that's why uh, you, you hear some uh, a few few responses from people in the judiciary, but they could not speak about specific cases in your story. Right. So, Well, thanks for being here, Kurt. Uh, you should definitely read these stories. They're coming out in the Sunday Standard Times, and in part two will be in Monday's edition. Uh, they'll be on southcoasttoday.com probably on Saturday night and on uh, Sunday night. Thank you, Brandon. And, uh, yeah, you can always listen to this podcast on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Thank you, Kurt. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.